Good morning. It's good to be with you. I am Joel, and I'm a transformed follower of Jesus Christ. Who else? All right, every week, that's who we are, that's who we get to be, and we get to know God Almighty, His Son, Jesus Christ, and it's glor- glorious to think about. First John, um, I'm going to call out a lot of cool passages for you today. First John chapter 2. It only took us a month to get a month to get to chapter two, so we're moving. Um, so, First John chapter two, I am going to be calling out some stuff for you that you're going to write down this morning that I think is going to help you be able to have some language uh, about even sharing with family and friends about your faith and your beliefs. So, I want to make sure you're ready for that and prepare for that. First, though, I want to tell you about these things. These, um, I think people should start paying me to like promo items, right? It's like product placement. Who's had dots? Right? Now, if you're clapping for dots, I know you're cheering for Jesus. Right? Amen. Um, So, uh, yeah, dots are good. Like pretzels, they can be a bit bland. They came up with this brilliant idea. Let's throw a bunch of seasoning that increases the calorie count by fourfold. And instead of $4 a bag, we'll charge them 6 even though the seasoning only costs us $0.04. Cents, and they'll buy them off the shelf. And as a result, it'll be the pride of Dakota. Dots. They should pay me, right? <laughs> should they not pay me? Um, this is when my wife says, baby, your face is good for radio. Um, That wasn't funny. Um, so here's Dots. My kids absolutely love Dots. So here's the story that happened. This is about two weeks ago. Um, I woke up early in the morning, and I had not seen my kids, anybody else. I finally show up. It's just before dinner time. I walk in the door, and I'm like, hey, kids. And I'm like, hey. And then mom walks in the door, and she unpacks some groceries, and she pulls out Dots. And I'm like, Dots, oh, yeah. I'm like, I haven't seen you all day. I get nothing except for like a casual like mini hug, which is kind of like, hey, we feel feel sorry for you. You had to go to work. And then you see a bag of pretzels, and you literally just laid an egg. (laughs) They're like, yeah, but it's dead. It's dots. I'm like, yeah, but I brought you in this world. And then one of my kids is like, no, it's kind of mom. I'm like, oh, my God. Do you see the life I have? It is so hard. So these are also some, like when we go on a trip, we'll buy dots, right? And we'll throw them in the car. And now what we've done, we used to always buy buy a bag. We no longer do that. I have a larger family, medium size, at least six of us. And so now we have to buy two bags because if we only have one bag, this is what we've learned. It's as though everybody in the car knows it's a race to see how many you can eat because they're going to run out. Anybody have that family? right? You're all messed up, right? We just have a dysfunctional family, but it's fun. And so all of a sudden they're doing this, and I remember, you know, I'm going, hey guys, can I get some? Like, I've been driving, like, you guys just pounded the dots. Are there any left? And I can see their facial expression. They're thinking about what will be best for them in order to still live. And like, should we share? Should we not share? And I know, I know this is somewhat silly. This is real life for me. But I think about sometimes even like it may be a different item for you. Maybe it's Oreos, 
chocolate chip cookies. Uh, maybe it's a piece of steak, right? It's the last bite, whatever, or French fries, right? Maybe some of you too have a spouse. They never want anything from themselves, and so you order French fries, and then you look in the bag, and the French fries are gone. And they say, I just thought we'd share. <laughs> See? I feel like I can be done today. Um, it's interesting, though, because sometimes what happens is I, I look at this often. I, I look at everything in the, the lens as, as faith and looking at what that is. And so often, I think when it comes to loving God and being o- obedient to God and doing for God and being o- giving back to God, sometimes I think what we do is we open up the bag according to what God, we think God is wanting, we go, and we're measuring it. Am I going to have enough for me still? Like, do you, like when we're coming, I shouldn't have opened these because now I smell it. <laughs> shouldn't have done that. Um, and we're measuring, like, should, should I give back? Should, should I be obedient? Like, what, where I, like, here mom, here dad, and you know, like some, Sometimes the kids are like just amazing. They must have just sung praises to the Lord because, hey, Dad, you want to eat the first ones? And I'm like, what happened to you? And they're like, they just want to, they're eager to share. They're eager to give back. And then other times they're reluctant and they're wanting to make sure they get what they want first. And a lot of us, I think maybe all of us, at some point in our life, we've been like that with Jesus, with God. And the reason we want to share, the reason we even want to give back, isn't really because like, oh yeah, you want some, that'd be awesome, whatever you want, this is fun, this is fantastic. It's more of like, oh, I guess I, it's, the, it's the right thing to do. You see the difference, yes? Yes or no? I'll tell the whole story again, yes or no? Now you speak. Right? That's what ends up happening. And what we're going to learn, 1 John chapter 2, is we're going to be reminded that what we have in Jesus Christ is so fantastic. And if you understand how wonderful it actually is and who he is and what he stands for and what he's done for us, then all of a sudden it's not like, hey, yeah, I guess, I mean, it's the right thing, here you go. It's more of like, no, yeah, whatever you want, take it all, man. Whatever you get, whatever, you, take it all, it's good. But how many of us are actually like that when it comes to our faith and being obedient to God? And some of us view it as, well, it's this task. I guess I have to do it. And what I would say is if you think it's just because you have to do it all the time, and yes, I'm a firm believer and you got to do the godly until your heart, what? Catches up. You just got to keep doing the godly sometimes until your heart catches up. I get that. But if your whole life is about, well, I guess this is what I have to do, I think you're losing out on the very nature of who God is and his love, splendor, grace, and forgiveness, knowing he can redeem anyone at, yes. And we go, wait a second. 
And so often we have the wrong view of who God is. And so I think that this passage, it really helps us to gain some clarity about who God is and the intensity we can then have with our faith and living for him. So I'm just going to start calling some things out. First, write down, if you would, 1 John 2.19. Now, I'm not going to get to verse 19 today. I'm only, I was going to hit the first 11 verses, and I'm not even going to try for that. I'm going to go for the first six verses. But here we go, 2 John 2.19. I just want to remind you of this, even though this is a couple weeks away, maybe a month away. I don't know. Um, they went out from us, but they did. Here's what it says. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. You know, there's people who claim and like, oh, yeah, we believe we're, we're right in there with you. But all of a sudden they recognize, no, they're not, not really. Like they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have been, they would have continued with us. They're talking about the people, the second, third generation people that John's writing to, right? And he's writing from Ephesus, but he's writing to these people. Second, third generation, and very quickly what he's finding, people who stepped away from their faith. And he's going, why? Part of the reason is they never really believed. And if they did give back to the church, if they did step into church, if they did worship, it was like, well, I mean, I guess if I have to. But it wasn't something that just radiated from them. It wasn't something that just came forth from them. Right? Just for a moment, I want you to think about which one you are. Even better, the person sitting next to you, if, if you came to church with a friend or a loved one, or think about one of your closest colleagues, someone who knows of your love for Jesus, would they say that your faith is all about whatever you want, God? Or would they say it's more of like, oh, I guess if I have to? And so here he is, they're like, yeah, they went out from us, but they weren't really one of us because they didn't continue with us. One of the things that they start to recognize very quickly, right, and he's reminding them and that we were reminded of, is belief translates into behavior. That's not on the screen, but that'd be a great thing for you to write down. Belief translates into behavior. Belief translates into behavior. So if you have a deep belief in who God is and a clear understanding of who Christ is and what he's done for you, that translates into behavior, not of reluctancy, but one of exuberance. So we see this unfolding. That's why we're going to be reminded today over and over. Knowing Jesus restores my relationship with God, motivates me to live as he lived. Knowing Jesus, listen to this, knowing Jesus, this is what they're going to be reminded of, these second and third generation believers. Knowing Jesus restores my relationship with God and motivates me to live as he lived. Like now there's a different approach. It's not, oh, well, I guess if I have to. It's like, yeah, I want to do that because I get what Christ has done for me. 2 Corinthians, another passage for you to write down. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. What book does 2 Corinthians come after? Really? 1 Corinthians all right, then 2 Corinthians. What's it come before? Don't say 3 Corinthians. Don't say 3 Corinthians. All right. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves 
but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So now if you're living for him, right? Living for self is, oh man, like, I mean, oh, fine. Living for God is whatever you want. Right? Another passage, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Right? This is a passage that really was formative of what we believe God has called us to as a church, to be transformed followers of Jesus. That's what we want to be all about. We know that our, our transformation is a continual process. It's not a one-time event. And so we want to just keep growing in him and allowing him to shape us and to teach us and, and to mature us and to ripen us, to season us in many ways. In Romans 12, 1, it says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as what? Living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. And then he goes on in verse 2, he says, don't be conformed by the, the, the world, Right? but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you want God to shape you and to teach you and to motivate you. And so hear me say this. If you take anything away from today, friends, please, living for Jesus is not a burden. It's a joy. And it's sad to me because it's as though we have taught that following Jesus is a life of giving up all the sinful lust and desires of our life that maybe we should deserve, but we don't get them. Like that's a mentality we sometimes have. Living for Jesus is a joy, not a burden. Living for Jesus is a joy, not a burden. Living for Jesus is a joy, not a burden. Will you say it with me? Living for Jesus is a joy, not a burden. So it starts to shape us and to teach us. So this is what it says. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Will you stand for the reading of the Word of God? My little children, my dear children... I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. The truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God, if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. It's the word of God. You may be seated. 
So I'm going to unpack this a little bit. Um, I was actually going to attempt, you need to know, to hit these first two verses last week in preaching. I think I even mentioned that. Um, so th- the reason I tell you is it fits so well. There's a slim, seamless transition between chapter 1 and chapter 2 in many regards. Knowing that now, we've got to remember, they added chapter and verse a lot, lot later to help people be able to go to particular places and to be able to identify with passages. Um, and so that's a great thing that they did that to help us. But know that this was one seamless letter to begin with, of course. And so here he's calling out, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, right? So that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The righteous one. It says he's the, the atoning sacrifice or ESV, he's the propitiation. We know what that word is, right? He is the one who absorbs our wrath. He is the one who's taken our punishment. He's the one who's absorbed that for us because we know that with anything that has been wrong, done wrong I say it all the time if God is to be just and we sin then there has to be a, penal, a payment for that and God is saying well then I'll allow my son to pick that up for you he is the propitiation for us for our sin and so when we start to recognize this, here's the thing that you've got to understand is it tells us and this is where we go it says don't sin and some of you go oh see I It just tells me what I can't do. No, it's saying because of what you've done, this is what he's done for you. Fact of the matter is sin has caused us to be incredibly arrogant and prideful. And so even when we speak about sin, we go, God says not to sin. See, I can't do these things. No, what God is doing, because then it says he's given you an advocate in Jesus Christ, the righteous one. A heavenly advocate. He's given you someone to step in and to take the penalty of your sin. What a beautiful thing to recognize. What he's telling us right away, and if you really want to know what it is to to know Christ in terms of him restoring a relationship and being motivated to live for him, knowing that living for Jesus is a joy and not a burden, if you want to really recognize that, there are some things that this passage helps us in terms of our thinking, in terms of our responsibilities and our behaviors that we've got to understand. And the very first thing that you're going to see is that we need to repent of sin and live in grace. Repent of sin, live in grace. That's the first couple of verses here. He's saying, quit sinning, don't sin anymore, but guess what? You have an advocate with the Father. You have an advocate with the Father. Another way of saying this passage, especially verse 1, is don't say you have no sin. Confess your sin. Don't hide your sin. Admit it. It's okay. You have an all-sufficient advocate. Jesus Christ, Son of God. I think the struggle that some of us have maybe possibly with sin is that we think that we can take care of it ourselves. So we don't open up to anybody. We certainly don't share with family or friends. And we think that somehow we're going to be able to rectify anything that we need to be able to do. And and yet here's the, the truth of it is that you can't. But Jesus can. 
And he's your advocate. And it's grace, guys. I'm not passionate about Jesus out of an obligation. I'm passionate about Jesus because I'm overwhelmed that the Son of God would be my advocate and take the penalty and the punishment of my sin for my life. I want to be careful what I say because there's so many people walking through hardship and through difficulty in life. And one of the things I learned a long time ago is no matter how much difficulty you're walking through, there's somebody walking through harder, <laughs> right? Um, but at an early age, I lost some good friends in college, and um, I think I recognized very, very early that this, this life is so short. I'm, I say all the time, I'm 46. I don't expect to live to 92 so I'm over halfway through my life it goes so fast and so I sit there and I go man I have an advocate with the father Jesus Christ am I going to get caught up in that because that's for eternity or am I going to get caught up in all these things that are frivolous and that are temporary did you know that you have a choice Did you know that you have a choice? Spoke to a friend of mine on Thursday. They said, why aren't you more upset about what's happening? Oh, I know Jesus, right? So if you really want to know that living as Jesus is not a burden, it's a joy, If you really want to step into that, what he's telling us in verse 1 and 2 is you need to understand that we need to repent of sin and live in grace. And know this about Scripture. Scripture tells us what to believe. We don't allow our beliefs to tell or to define what Scripture says. I could preach that for quite a while, right? And they're like, well, where do you come up with what you believe? The Word of God tells me what to believe. Well, what if you don't like what it says? Your emotions don't get to tell God what is truth and not truth in His eternal Word. And I know that some of you right then are like, oh, that's not right. You don't know. I've got some friends and this and that. Listen, we need to understand that we need to repent of sin and live in grace because Scripture is telling us to do so. And Scripture tells us what to believe. We don't allow our beliefs to determine what Scripture means. Because as soon as you do that, every single person gets to define it differently. And then there's no moral truth anymore. Everything's just in the wind, whatever you want. And because of our sin, we're sometimes easily deceived, and we need to understand that Satan is the great deceiver, but Jesus is the great advocate. And that's something to rejoice in. That's something to celebrate. And so if we want to know what it is to live as Christ as a joy and not as a burden, something that we, here you go, we have to do. It's not what we have to do. I get, guys, I woke up ready to worship today. 
Like, I kind of want right now the storm to hit so hard and for us to, like, maybe just call Nathan out and let's just worship some more and see, like, I've got lunch. I'm good to go. We'll stay here all day. Right? I guess I don't have lunch because I'd have to give them away. But, like, it's so good. We get to do that, the joy of Christ and what he's done for us. But when I recognize that Jesus is our propitiation for our sin and that he's also an advocate, he's our advocate, this is something that really started just being thrown around in my heart and my mind. And sometimes we go, well, I'm a sinner. It is what it is. There's a lot of truth to that. We're all sinners falling short of the glory of God, Romans. But this is how I would say is sinlessness, being without sin, it's our future destiny in heaven with God. But godliness can be our current experience. I, just, I want you to think about this for a moment. God was perfect. His son is perfect, fully human, fully divine. What I'm trying to say is we can still be obedient to his word and impassioned in, in knowing him and loving him, overwhelmed that he is our advocate and strive to be godly. Can we be without sin? Without a doubt, no. But we can strive to be godly and to chase after him. And oh, wow, the world so needs that right now. So I'm so determined to pray for all of our political leaders and pray for Governor Whitmer and pray for President Trump and pray for everybody who's making so many decisions and praying for our school leaders because every, time, every day, even locally, they're making decisions every day. And within 10 hours, they're being told different rules. It's got to be frustrating. And I'm, the majority of people are doing the best they can. So let's be as godly as we can. If you want to live as Jesus and know it as being a joy and not a burden, repent of sin. And then because he's your advocate, live in grace. And then secondly, what I'd like to encourage you to do is to start just being obedient. Yeah, sometimes you have to do the godly until your heart catches up. You just want to obey. It tells us in this passage, 1 John 2, 3, by this we do know that we know him if we what? Keep his commandments. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments, if we obey him. You can't claim to know the Father and that his son, Jesus, is our advocate and he's there for you and then completely ignore his instruction. All of it, by the way, that's a really hard thing to do. It's saying it's not even possible. You can't claim to know the love of God and then be a jerk. Amen. People take advantage of this church weekly in terms of our willingness and our eagerness to help and to love. And guess what we're going to do? We're going to keep loving Amen. And so if you want to know, like sometimes like that joy, you're like, if you want to know what it is to live for Jesus and it's a joy and not a burden, you just, you just go, man, within the, part of that is just obeying him. 
Obedience is what grows out of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It grows out of an understanding of 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, that he is our advocate. That's what grows out of it. Much of this passage, especially verses 3 through 6, is really, that's the behavior response to the belief that you have that he is our advocate and our propitiation for our sin in verse 1 and 2. So really a lot of what you have in 1 John chapter 2, 1 and 2 is here's your belief, your understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done. And so as a result of that, verses 3 through 11, this is now what you're willing to do because that just knocks your socks off. And so we're willing to be obedient, to walk in the light, right? We, he uses that phrase um, in 1 John chapter 1, in verse 7, and in verse 9. And he speaks about so many beautiful things there. We preach this as well, that he is light, right? That, that he's the one that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins, that cleanses from all unrighteousness. And now he's bringing it back in this portion of the letter as well, that now we get to be obedient to him because of what he's done for us. And we get to do that with joy. And so... If we want to live for Jesus and know that it's a joy and not a burden, we want to first, we want to repent of sin and, and, and live in grace, but then we want to be obedient to him. And then, and then thirdly, we want to start speaking some truth. Let, look at verse 3 and 4 for, with me. Verse 3, I just read it. By this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And then verse 4 says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So that means if we know him, we speak truth. Otherwise, we're a liar. We're to speak truth. Now, here's the kicker. What's the first word here say? Yeah. We know that silence, when you remain silent, silence is what? Concurring with whatever is being spoken around you. That's what it is. And so if silence is concurring with it, we need to start speaking that truth. We need to start speaking the truth of Jesus Christ. And, and actually, if you know that he's your advocate, you do so with joy, not because you have to. Guys, I hate to tell you, but I, gotta tell you, I need to tell you about Jesus right now. It's not that. It's like, guys, can I tell you what God's done in my life right now? It's pretty amazing. So you start speaking truth. That's part of having the joy of Christ. Those who never speak the truth of Jesus, I would strongly argue whether or not they know the joy of Jesus, the life that is given by Jesus, that he is our advocate. So I hope you pick up that, I'm, guys, when I'm speaking about, speaking about this and, and, and talking about the truth and in being obedient, I'm not speaking about a legal obedience. I'm talking about a gracious obedience. So sometimes when we hear the word obedience, we think oh, it's legalities, it's dogmatic, you've got to do that. That's not what I'm speaking of. It's a gracious obedience because you're so overwhelmed. If you're a parent, raise your hand. 
Imagine this. I know it's not happened to any of you. But you go on a nice trip with your kids, or maybe all day, you, t- you surprise them, and you go to some kind of amusement park, or you take them to a baseball game, and you all eat hot dogs and cotton candy, and then you come home, and you go, guys, will you grab everything out of the car? And they go, no, we just want to go play with our friends, and they run out in the yard with their friends. Has it happened to anybody before? Not me, of course, but anybody. Something like that. Similar? Anybody? If you're a parent and you can identify with that, can you just please say hallelujah? Okay, that's all of you. I don't you think that, like you going, that kid, if they were grateful, if they had a gracious appreciation for what I've done for them, wouldn't they be obedient right now? So why do we think as adults who know Jesus Christ, it's any different? That's sin. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to give you eternal life so that you can know me and live in joy and have a freedom that you never knew before. Because if you live according to the world, you know you're just chasing your own tail. And it's always changing and it's always being manipulated. And so as a result, you never actually have freedom because you're living in this captivity. So I'm going to free you from that. And I'm going to allow you to have a relationship with the Heavenly Father so that for all eternity you're worshiping and praising Him. And then we go, yeah, but I'd rather just go do it on my own right now. That's what, Satan is a great deceiver. Guess what? Jesus is the great advocate, and Jesus wins. And then lastly, if you read this passage, it tells us verse 5 and 6, right? talks about keeping his word. That's that obedience again, verse 5. But whoever keeps his word in him Truly the love of God is perfected. That'd be a cool goal, wouldn't it? What's your goal for the year? That the love of God be made perfected in me. That'd be a cool goal. By this we may know that we are in him. Verse 6 says, whoever says he abides in him, If you say that you abide in him, that you dwell with him, that you live with him, that you are intimate with him, right? That's the abiding. You ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. One of our favorite passages, Philippians 2, 5 Attitude should be the same as Christ. Why? Because he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Took on the nature of a servant, being obedient to death. Yes, even death on a cross. He lived in complete humility. Complete humility. When people would approach him and start launching into him blasphemy and everything else, he loved them. Now, we don't know where the whole world is going right now in terms of our society and with faith and churches. And there's a hot mess out there. But our leadership, we talk often about whatever comes, here's our response. We respond as much like Jesus as possible. That's good, right? Isn't that what we should be, all of us? So when your neighbor is just ticked off because you walk to your mailbox 
without a mask or with a mask or whatever it is. And instead of getting riled up and going inside and saying, honey, we're never talking to them again. You just look at them and say, hey, sorry, I just hope you're doing well. And you go inside and you get on your knees and you pray for their heart that they know God. No matter what your neighbors, who they vote for, or who you vote for, or no matter what people say about you coming to church or not going to church, our response is the same. God loves you, adores you. You have an advocate with Jesus Christ if you profess that he is Lord. And that's pretty astounding. And I can't wait to worship with you for eternity. Jesus has already won. I told you, do you remember that guy a couple days ago asked me, why aren't, why aren't you you're more upset? Why aren't you more angry? Easiest way for me to say it, I already know who wins. And he wants for everybody to know that. So if you really want to know what it is to live for Jesus as a joy, not a burden, you live as Christ. It's what you do. You live as he lived, with that humility, and you live with that graciousness, and you live with that passion for other people. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him, you have to walk like Jesus did. You have to live like Jesus did. And our love for God is made visible often by our obedience, our gracious obedience to him. And so that's what Christians do. Christians, here's what we do. If you want a template for life, like right, some of you are going, I want to be a great business leader. And you're like, who's a great business leader I can model after? I want to be a great athlete. Who can I learn from about how they exercise? Or you want to be a great musician. Who can I learn from about being a great musician? Or I want to just know how to make money. Who can I learn from? Whatever it is. Listen, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, here's my pattern. This is what I'm looking for. I just want to replicate the life of Jesus. And I hope you know what I mean by that. Like we need Christians pattern their lives after. After Jesus. Doesn't mean we're going to actually be like you know, I'm not trying to assume that, but we're to live with that whole theme of God's glory, God's purpose, right? Everything, every word out of my mouth, every action that I live, everything that I do in leadership, no matter who I hire or anything else, all of it should be for the glory of God. The glory of God. So interaction with friends for the glory of God. The way you choose to work tirelessly and you don't ever feel like you're appreciated for the glory of God. For the glory of God, for the glory of God, for the glory of God, He is worthy, He is worthy, He is worthy. Every knee will bow, every tongue will profess, He is Lord. We already know who wins.
will you live your life knowing who wins? God, I come before you in the name of Jesus Christ. I give you all glory. God, I give you all glory. I give you all worship. I give you all praise and adoration. I give you appreciation for allowing us to wake up on a rainy day and to step together as brothers and sisters and declare your goodness. And if anybody in this place doesn't know what it means for you to be their advocate, may they know that today. May they recognize that the Son of God has stepped onto this planet 2,000 years ago in order for us in a physical way to be able to know Him intimately, to know Him spiritually, to know Him with all of our emotions, with all of our feelings, to know we have an advocate. And so right now, God, I'm asking that you empower these friends to live for you not out of burden, be obedient to you, not out of obligation, but out of a pure joy of knowing that you've already stepped in for us in something that we could never do for self. For the glory of God, for the glory of God, may we live for you. Amen.